As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where it's 30 degrees out Fahrenheit as the Bills at home taking on the New England Patriots as Jesse Collings joins me from the land of the New England Patriots. Hello. Hey, Brandon. How's it going? It's like also 30 degrees here. Weird how that works. Is it the, the ultimate baby faces, the Buffalo Bills today, uh, taking on their, their, their longtime heel rivals uh, led by Bill Belichick, as as uh, the Buffalo Bills prepare to punish the New England Patriots and perhaps keep them out of the playoffs. Your thoughts? I think you can make the argument that obviously the Bills should go over because they have the momentum, right? The babyface momentum. But wouldn't it be more interesting if you could get like a little more heat out of this? Like maybe like everyone wants the Bills to win. So if they don't win and the heel Patriots go over, you can maybe do a rematch later, maybe like in the AFC championship game where you finally, that's when you really want to see them get their revenge because just when you, you, you know, the fans were denied their revenge. Couldn't you, couldn't you make an argument that the booker should decide that? And, and I mean, in, in the spirit of Vince McMahon making his return to WWE uh, this week, uh, the Bills are at home, so it would be fitting if they if they lost in their hometown. Yeah, like the, you know, they get the big entrance. Maybe they have like um, Mr. Hamlin give like a little video message at the start of the uh, the game that they show on the jumbotron, and like so the fans feel good. But then you know, you beat them, get more heat on the Patriots. Because frankly, let's be honest, Brandon, the Patriots could use a little bit more heat. They've not really met you know as strong heels as they once were. So, so that's where Chris Gullo is today. He's at he's at the stadium, uh, as the, the the Patriots are in the hunt, according to the NFL.com's playoff picture. But uh, we've had yes. big news uh, this week in the world of professional wrestling um, with the return of Vince McMahon. Uh, we did a uh, this is this is the hard copy. This was on the 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 lower half of the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I believe this was on Friday as I was going to Wegmans and I, and I looked at the newsstand. Um, but, uh, John Pollock and I did a, did a program uh, on Friday afternoon. If you haven't listened to that, that's in your archive for WrestleNomics Radio and for Post Wrestling, and it's on Post Wrestling's YouTube. Uh, we had an hour discussion. Uh, so we won't go into as much detail as we went in, into there, but uh, there has been news since then, and there's been plenty of speculation about who will buy WWE uh, but any any extra thoughts because we haven't gotten Jesse's thoughts about this. Um, so just to go over what's happened uh, briefly in the time between uh, WrestleNomics Radio last Sunday and now was that on Thursday, the Wall Street Journal, Thursday afternoon as I was trying to do the dynamite rating, uh, buried the bad dynamite rating, by the way, the .26 lowest dynamite 18-49 viewership since January 6, 2021, while the capitals being attacked. 
cable news coverage everywhere. Anyway, uh, the Wall Street Journal comes out with a report saying that Vince McMahon is going to elect himself, George Berrios, and Michelle Wilson to the board, whether, whether the current members of the board like it or not. He's going forward and doing that. Uh, hours later, short time later, Vince McMahon puts out his own press release, his very own press release on PR Newswire by Vince McMahon, not by WWE, but by Vince McMahon himself. He's got his own separate attorneys, no, no KNL Gates, notably, no Jerry McDivitt. And he basically confirms the information that was just reported in the Wall Street Journal at that time, saying that that's what he's going to do. And he wants to sell the company. Uh, stock market reacts very positively to this. The uh, WE shares closed at, I believe, $84 on Friday when the, when the market did open and, and was able to respond in, in, in the normal time the stock market is open. Uh, and then I woke up to an email alert from corporate.w.com on Friday morning with SEC filings, which were, were hinted at in Vince's press release. SEC filings amending WWE's bylaws, the rules that govern the way that the W board is operated. He makes it explicit, and apparently he has the legal ability to do this. He makes it explicit that he has to approve not only of any sale of WWE, but he has to approve of any TV rights deal. TV rights deals for WWE, Raw and SmackDown, those are expiring in the fall 2024. Uh, they're going to be negotiated this this year and perhaps finalized this spring. Uh, but the big question is, well, maybe instead of renewing Raw and SmackDown TV rights, maybe they'll just sell the company. And this is Vince McMahon coming back as something called executive chairman whatever those duties entail, to lead the strategic initiatives, the strategic alternatives, whatever buzzword you want to use to explore, ostensibly explore a sale of WWE. And Wall Street is buying it, literally, and, and the W shares are up strongly. $6.5 billion market value is what WWE sits at at the close of the business on Friday. So... Uh, positive news for the stock. We've gone through a number of board of directors changes as well, which I will, uh, will, will show for people watching on YouTube here. Here was the board in the innocent days of spring 2022, when little did we know, WD's board was quietly investigating emails that they, they'd received from a friend of a former paralegal who used to work for WB, uh, who, who alleges uh, sexual misconduct, uh, related to Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis. Anyway, this was the board. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, the, this is Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan, Paul Levesque, Jeffrey Speed, Eric Nardini, Steve Payman, Manjit Singh, Steve Coonan, Ignace Laoud, Connor Shell, Alan Wexler. And uh, once the scandal broke, Vince eventually left the board. Connor Shell in July left the board. Eric Nardini, the Barstool Sports CEO, left the board in September. They were replaced, so Nardini was and, and uh, Shell were replaced by two new members of the board of directors, Michelle McKenna, who's the former NFL CIO, Joel Lyons Dillon, a former executive with the 3D printing company X1. <clears throat> and Stephanie McMahon was made the new chairwoman. Vince is gone. Vince's career is over. I did a big documentary chronicling the end of Vince McMahon's run with WWE, but then uh, Vince McMahon comes back. He he has to remove three members to put himself, Barrios, and Wilson back on the board. I was wondering if he was going to end up removing Stephanie, Paul, and Nick, but it's not that that dramatic. He's removing Jeffrey Speed, Alan Wexler, Joel and Lines, Dylan. So very very short 
uh, term on the board for Joel and Lyons, Dylan, and he replaces the returning. This is, this is so it's, – it's as if this story is being written for Russellnomics directly. The return of George Berrios to the WB board. The return of Michelle Wilson to the WB board. For people where would who may you, not be familiar. Yes. Where would you rank George Berrios' return as far as like surprise returns in wrestling? For for me as a as a viewer, um, it's it's. I mean, what what would be Brock Lesnar's return? Brock Lesnar's sudden return in 2012, right? Is is, is, mm-hmm. is a pretty big dramatic return. Yeah, Rick Rick Flair's return to WCW. Which one? <laughs> uh, like the one in the early 90s, and then the one with the um. This is the famous one. It was like the Four Horsemen night, and Arn Anderson cuts this great promo, and then he says, "Rick Flair, get on out here," and he comes out and gets like a gigantic pop. Um, the 1998 return. Yeah, I mean, Hulk Hogan's return to the WWF after, or to WWE, you know. But, but uh, this as far as just a startling development that there weren't any rumors about that I I was aware of. Um, but Barrios, if, if if people have been listening to Russ Song's radio for a number of years, you'll know that Barrios and Wilson were basically the, the central figures of, of W Corporate. I mean, v- Vince was obviously the CEO during that time, um, but, but Wilson and Barrios were the people who were engaging with the investor community and we're going to conferences. Vince would never speak at conferences. Barrios would do, do, do most of that. They were with the company from 2008 until 2020 when Vince fired both of them while making a change in strategy on the W network to license the content out. Which yeah, means I mean, Nick, Nick Khan coming back. Vince, like you said, Vince fired both of them. The last thing we heard from Barrios and Wilson was that Vince fired them really unceremoniously. And there was a huge kind of, micro little scandal about why these, you know, Barrios and Wilson were suddenly gone. And I believe the stock price was, was negatively affected by those moves. Correct. Yes. We had, we had Jim, Jim Cramer later that evening on January 30th. I remember the date, January 30th, 2020. Um, they were, they were fired sort of without warning and it, and it caused a lot of uncertainty, uh, and, and anxiety with W shareholders and it hurt the stock, uh, real, really strongly, um, because they were, to investors, the faces of the company, and they were suddenly, without warning, gone, and without replacement, were removed. Um, <clears throat> so since then, they've been running a SPAC, a special acquisition company, a shell company that has acquired a company called Bolero, a bowling company. So that, and they're still working together. Um, so that's what they've been doing in the time between. Uh, they are not coming back as executives to WWE, but they are members of the board of directors. I always feel like I have to explain what a board of directors kind of is. It's a bunch of people who mostly are what are called independent members who work basically on a part-time basis as members of the board of directors. It does include some W executives, obviously, including Stephanie, Nick, Paul. Uh, and previously, the chairman was Vince while he was the CEO. But the majority is our independent members who are executives and other sort of a related business who are there to advise the executives and who are there to look after shareholder interests, hopefully. So Vince is back on the board with sort of one day's notice. I was wondering if maybe we're going to have to wait until the annual shareholders meeting in April or May. Not so. The next day, it becomes official. And W puts out a press release sort of confirming that and bearing at the very last line of the press release. Oh, by the way, uh, Manjit Singh, the leader of, of the independent members and Ignacio Laud have both resigned effective immediately. So they're out. So now this board looks uh, like this. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine members where previously there were 11, 11 or 12. What's nine plus three? That's 12. Um, so that's, that's the picture of the board. So let's, let's go over two things real quick. 
The first being, why do we think um, Lahoud and Manjit Singh left? Why do you think they were they left the board right now? I'm sure they just had other, they you know they they loved their time on the board. They just had other projects that they wanted to focus on uh, more more directly. Is probably that happened to come up right at the same time as Vince's return? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, so similarly, it's easy. Connor Shell resigned from the board in July. It's just because he had a new venture happening with um, uh, well, gosh, what's his name? Uh, Chernin, uh, Peter Chernin. That is that his name? Yeah, uh, the the North. The North Company, he did have a, a new project coming up. Um, not sure why Eric Nardini resigned in September, but um, perhaps, perhaps only innocent reasons. Right. But we can speculate, right, and think that Manjit Singh and, and Ignaz Laud's resignations in the board are related to Vince's return. I, I would I would be surprised if they were not, considering the right. timing, considering Manjit Singh's position. I know I know little about him other than what we see in documents in, in that he was the, the lead independent member of the board. He was the lead independent member involved in, in the investigation that happened over the summer into the alleged misconduct against uh, Vince McMahon, the allegations of misconduct against Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis. So... The the, the the timing of him resigning as soon as Vince comes back is very conspicuous. And I think it's safe to assume that Will, the reason Wilson and Barrios were picked by Vince to come back was because we believe that they'll be – they're very loyal to Vince even though he fired them a few years ago. But I suppose and, – and like from a, an investor's perspective, they make a lot of sense. You know, they're right. qualified. Who knows the, the company? Who knows the company more than, than those two? They were co-presidents for a long time. And they were on the board previously as well. So this is not even a new position for that. Right. But if we're looking at from like a pure power dynamic for Vince, he's shoring – He there are not only are they reducing members of the board, but he's also shoring up in the, the remaining members as valuable allies. Um, the big question, of course, is where do the three executive members of the board, Stephanie, Paul Levesque, and Nick Khan, where do they fit into Vince's how, – how – um, how big of an ally are they to Vince? Are they Vince's enemies now? Who was responsible for kind of giving Vince the so-called bad advice that he allegedly got um, from people close to him, which led to his, you know, resignation slash retirement uh, from WWE in the first place? Uh, it, I think all of that is is very interesting. That now we, we have way less members on the board, and the people at least being brought into the board are people that we believe are going to be. Uh, on the same team team as Vince. Yeah. It, Vince, it, it doesn't stand to reason that Vince would be bringing them back to the board unless they were, you know, a, agreeable to whatever Vince wants okay. to do. Can I, can I ask like a, like a general question about this whole thing? Yeah. Do you believe that Vince McMahon wants to sell WWE? Do you believe that's a, an earnest plan that he has developed? I, I've been debating like what, what, how to, how to judge this whole thing over the last couple of days, because I felt, you know, I, I, I've asked around to a lot of people who understand the business and understand the law a lot, a lot better than I do, who said, I don't know, I think Vince, Vince will never come back. That, that would be a ridiculous notion. That's not going to happen. Even though you know, maybe my instincts would tell me that this is Vince McMahon who's going to do anything to, to stay in a position and get into a position of power. Um, I think, and we'll get into the, the, the possible suitors, but I think, is, does Vince honestly want to sell the company? Um, I don't know. I, I think he probably views it as a thing that he has to, to play here, a thing that he has to say he's willing to do. Maybe he's willing to do it even in certain circumstances if it means he's able to 
return to a place of power and it's it's done with reassurance to shareholders shareholders are apparently happy about it because the market value of of the stock has gone up tremendously in in the last 48 hours or so i guess we're, we're talking on sunday since thursday um but i think it's largely strategy uh, and i think he wants to return to a position of power i think he wants to stay in a position of power for as long as he's healthy and he'll he'll bear whatever costs are needed to maintain that right this is means to an end for vince which is he sees a potential sale as his way to get back into power certainly my original instincts with this were vince is talking about a sale to increase the stock price as a way to kind of sell um his way back into a position of power because as we learned last month that investors and WWE's board of directors didn't see Vince coming back to the company as a positive, right? It, we were basically told that the company – people do not believe that Vince McMahon returning to the company would be positive for the financial outlook of the company. However, if Vince is saying, I'm coming back but only to help sell, a comp- sell the company, that changes the dynamic a bit because now Vince is – oh, if Vince is going to come back and sell the company, that's good for investors. Therefore, we can now stomach or, or tolerate this return. Um now, there's also the possibility that could he find a buyer who would be willing to make a deal with him to allow him to remain in power, um, and that's part of the sale, which is, okay, we'll sell the company to you, and I, you know, I'm now executive for life or whatever term he wants to use. It all seems like this is part of a plan to insulate himself and ensure that this can never happen to him again. He can never be ousted, you know without his consents uh, ever again from, from WWE. So to, to look briefly, so the, the December 13th article from the Wall Street Journal was the first news that we got that Vince was looking to make a comeback to WWE. That was December 13th. The stock was already on, on a negative slope at that point. Uh, I think just readjusting from too much hype that WWE was going to sell and, and, and was going to sell sooner rather than later. So it, it peaked at about $80 uh, in late November and had been on a slide uh, already. So on December 13th, it's valued at about $74. That story breaks. Um, I think that broke in the morning. It was while the market was open. Anyway, in the days that followed, the, the stock price continued to fall. So it's not like that story, the notion of Vince coming back that that in general, without any further context, it's not like investors were excited about that. But vet investors were very excited, as you can see here in this huge jump, about the notion that this is going to come back to sell the company. Um, so there's that. Um, what else do we have here? Um, WWE did update their their corporate website that that shows the shareholders, the the share or not the shareholders, the the board's directors. So we've got an up to date table here on corporate.w.com and Vince McMahon is now at the top again. He, his, his, uh, identifier is co-founder of our company. And until July, 2022 chairman of the board of directors and chief, chief executive officer, Stephanie McMahon is listed as still as the chairwoman. So that was not clear to me. And I guess that confirms based on the fact that they obviously went in and updated this. There's, there's new text here until July, 20. 22 and things like that. Uh, so she's still the chairwoman of the board. So Vince is not the chairman, despite his new title being executive chairman. 
whatever that means. Um, so what's important to note here is that Vince and WWE haven't gone total red wedding here where they've eliminated Stephanie, Paul, and Nick Khan from positions of power in the company, which was kind of what I was looking for when Vince originally announced that he was going to return. And obviously he was elevating himself and two new people to positions on the board. Obviously who would they replace, especially if they're going to be executives, they would replace that trio. But at the from what everything has been said to us publicly, the parties are playing nice and they're all apparently on the same page. Right. And we'll get to, to what uh, Nick Stephanie and Frank Riddick's comments were at the all employees meeting uh, on Friday. But there's um, a really technical note on, on, on the board. So I, I understand that W has to have at least three members who are independent on their audit committee. And there's multiple committees that are, that are, I believe required by the New York stock exchange for you to have uh, within your board of directors. So it's sort of like a, like a Senate committee or something like that. There are, there are people who are members and then there's sort of these committees within the board. But anyway, you're supposed to have three members who are independent members who are on the audit committee. Uh, Steve Payman was, is the only one who's left who was on the audit committee. Um, so maybe the, they will or have made changes to put uh, Michelle McKenna and Steve Coonan on the audit committee. Uh, but they haven't said so, at least in, in the documents that, that I've that have been published and that I've looked through. Uh, so they haven't disclosed that, and it's it's probably material. Maybe that's something that will be made clear later. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so if they, if they want to stay within, you know, New York Stock Exchange and maybe SEC rules, that's something that they're going to have to do. Um, but it, by the way, if you want to put in any questions or add your comments and have us read them, uh, super chat is there for people watching live on YouTube. Uh, so the meeting that happened on Friday afternoon was going to happen at three 30, got pushed back to three 45. They did it. The message overwhelmingly was, Hey, everything's normal. We're still here. Nick is still here. Stephanie is still here. Frank is still here. Paul is still here. Paul was not, uh, not a speaker, uh, on, on the meeting. It was just Nick Khan, Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon was, was very much leading it. Um, we have a transcript of it on WrestleNomics.com that's free and readable for everybody. Um, it was about a seven-minute meeting. It wasn't very long, no questions. Um, Stephanie did allude to wanting to answer questions at some point, but in that format, which was like a Zoom call meeting, uh, that they couldn't take questions. So Nick says that in, in terms of the day-to-day the company of the company, nothing is changing. Steph is in her role. I'm in my role. Frank Riddick is in his role. Paul Levesque is in his role. Kevin Dunn is in his role. Um. Frank Riddick, who is the chief financial officer and president of WWE, explained what the various possibilities were in terms of what, what they've been calling sort of the, the latest WWE buzzword, strategic initiatives, strategic alternatives, which he explains could include a broad range of potential transactions, everything from a combination with another company, that sounds like a merger, an acquisition of the company by someone else, or a take private transaction, taking the company private. You know, think what what Elon Musk just did with Twitter, or just simply some sort of cooperation joint venture agreement. Um, I'm interjecting there about the the, the Twitter thing, uh, and then and then Stephanie, uh, she spoke throughout this, but she closed the call, basically giving employees credit for all the success that W has had. She said when when people talk about our our performance and how well we're doing, that's because of all of you. Uh, we want to make, she said, she wa- we want to make sure that we're on top of this and we're communicating with you and everyone has all the information that they need. So again, thank you to all of you. This is an exciting time. It shouldn't be a scary time. It's an exciting time for WWE. 
Our founder is back on the board and is going to help lead this process. And thank you to all of you. It's an exciting way to kick off 2023. Um, exciting. Everything's positive. Uh, don't, don't be worried. Sound good? Yeah. As someone that works for a big company that has been at some frustrating corporate, you know, media, you know, something big happens, then we have an emergency meeting, you know, later this afternoon or tomorrow at one, uh, I could sympathize with WWE employees with how little, um, you know, was really said in this meeting, like really nothing of value to me, at least as far as just outside of them saying nothing's, you know, nothing's going to change. Everything's fine. You know, uh, Right, right. Like, uh, you know, this man who had to resign in shame and currently has multiple uh, lawsuits pending uh, regarding potential sexual uh, assault against some of his employees. He's coming back to work, but um, everything's fine. He's going to help sell the company or, or maybe not sell the company. You no, know, maybe he won't sell the company. Maybe he'll take it private. Who knows? Um, but everything's fine. Uh, no questions. Bye. That's literally what the that's literally what it read like to me. Um, so I could sit and I could sympathize with. From from what I could tell, like I, you know, I read what Dave Meltzer wrote in the Wrestling Observer newsletter this week. I I read uh, Sean Ross Sapp's report about kind of you know direct quotes he was getting from you know WWE employees. Um, all of them seemed very you know concerned and had a lot of questions about what was going on and uh, the fact that apparently they weren't allowed to ask questions in this in this you know big you know all hands on deck meeting uh, is is very frustrating and I can sympathize with them for sure. Um. I think it's important that they had a, a, an employees meeting. I don't, I don't, I haven't heard that they've had a talent meeting, but, um, I, I figured maybe they would, uh, in Memphis at SmackDown. Um, but it's, it's important that they had some sort of statement to employees. And at least they, they went out there and said, Hey, look, we're still in our positions. It's not as if Vince has removed us. That was made clear. Um, but it's, it, 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 it brings hollow to hear, Stephanie say that it's, it's, it's an exciting time, not a scary time when, um, if this is such a great opportunity, then why did the board say that you say unanimously, the board includes Stephanie, Nick, um, and Paul, why did the board unanimously agree? If this is such a good thing that Vince shouldn't come back. If this is such a good thing, why did Manjit Singh and Ganassi Laud resign as soon as he came back to the board? Um, so, but they're, they, those three executives, at least uh, Riddick, Stephanie McMahon, and Nick Khan, I get the impression that they they're sort of accepting that this is this is what he's able to do, and we have no choice but to go along with it. Right? They have to play. They have to play it like this because Vince has now you know convincingly flexed his power as basically being able to bowl around and do whatever he wants. So you know, showing any form of like public resistance to that doesn't benefit them at all it doesn't benefit like even if let's 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 go full throttle and say vince just you know vince is running creative vince is now in charge of everything again you know it's still if i'm paul levesque like my best course of action is probably just to grit my teeth and take a step back and wait for the next development to happen in vince's life um it doesn't it doesn't really um behoove any of these people maybe potentially nakan because you know, his career could take him somewhere else in a way that I don't think Stephanie's or Triple H's could. Um, it doesn't behoove those people to burn this bridge and to go full on major enemy of Vince publicly, um, yeah. unless they get fired by Vince, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen, at least in the, right now. Yeah. The biggest question to fans will be what, and to talent will be is Vince going to get involved in creative? And Sean Ross Sapp tweeted uh, on Friday afternoon that the creative process is not supposed to change with Vince McMahon back in the company. WWE tells Fightful Select directly and specifically. So 
so Sean Rossap getting getting a you know a I don't know if you call that a comment, but but you know <laughs> get, getting a message on the record there that that WWE says that 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 he's not going to be back in creative. Um, uh, that is not what they said. They said the creative process is not supposed to change with Vince McMahon back in the company. Was Vince McMahon playing a role in creative before this? Before he returned to the company is a major question that I have. I I don't. I don't. Think I know. Everyone tells me that he should, he well, he wasn't, and I'm not even going to say that I believe 100 percent that he was. But I watch those shows and I think you know this is still being written for Vince in certain ways. I mean, he is Paul Levesque's, uh father-in-law, so I'm you know it's very possible that they were having conversations. Yeah, about, I mean, about and, their and, work. And Paul Levesque has admitted, at least on the record, with the interview I think with um, Ariel Helani for BT Sport, that you know he has gone to Vince for advice on how to on certain decisions. So it's, it's, it's very possible, but I mean, do you believe that Vince is not going to be back in charge of creative? Cause I believe he is. I think right now he's not going to be in charge of creative. I mean, I think that'll be very, very apparent to, to talent. And then it'll be very apparent to people like Sean Ross Sapp. If, if he's at TV every week, then I would think that he is. Um, but at this point, I don't expect him to have a day to day role in at, at the arenas, at the venues, let's say. Why would he come back to the company if he didn't want to be the head of creative again? Maybe he maybe he chips away and he ends up coming back into that role. I, I'm 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 skeptical that that he's going to stay out of that role. Um, but I don't think that's what's happening at least yet. Um, he may be okay. pushing his way back towards that direction, but I don't think yeah. that's that's where we're at next week. Yeah, I think or, we're in agreement with with that. That at the moment they're all playing nice. They're all saying nothing's going to change. Paul is still in charge of creative. Vince is just, you know, he's just here to work on a sale and explore strategic initiatives or alternatives to the company. Um, he's not back in creative, but I do think Vince, like why, like Vince's motivation to come back to the company isn't just to force a sale or make a sale. It's to, he wants to be back in the big seat. He wants to be deciding who's going to main event WrestleMania. He wants to decide who's getting a push. He wants the on-screen product to res- reflect his personal tastes. I think all of that is an extreme motivating factor for him, you know, forcing his way back into, into the company. It's not just to, to sell the company and to make a lot of money. It's, it's because he wants to be in complete control of the company again. And, and, and I've asked WME relations if, if what is Vince's status as far as, is he just a member of the board of directors or is, does he have an employee corporate role again? And I haven't heard back. Um, so that would the answer to that question would would inform whether or not he's going to have some additional role other than just advising the strategic alternatives and and the, and the media TV deal. Um, so that's what's happening there. Um, news, new news that we haven't touched on. I haven't touched on anywhere yet because it just broke yesterday. Um, CNBC Alex Sherman came out with an article uh, saying that J.P. Morgan is going to be involved uh, with a sale, so they're going to advise on a, on a potential sale. Um, the story says W has hired JP Morgan to help the company advise on a potential sale. According to people familiar with the matter, JP Morgan declined to comment. A W spokesperson couldn't immediately be reached for comment. If a deal occurs, it could, it would likely be in the next three to six months, said the people who have asked, uh, who asked not to be named because the discussions are private. W plans to talk to potential buyers before it makes a decision on TV rights renewal agreements. Whether a buyer would be comfortable with McMahon taking a more hands-on role at the company is unknown. But WWE is McMahon's life work 
it's possible a sale may only happen with at least some strings attached. Again, that's from CNBC's Alex Sherman. Uh, so I think that's normal that there would be a bank involved, and that's sort of what that is what Frank Riddick alluded to, that there would be some sort of an, uh, a bank that would get involved with them and, and help them explore this this sale. And we see a lot of discussion about this like quick timeline that WWE is going to be on for a sale, which is basically before the live the next round of live rights negotiations. It, it would have to be instead of – and this is something that Nikon pointed out too in, in, in their meeting is that you can't sell – you can't renew the, the, the live rights fees to Ron SmackDown and, and then, then go try to sell the company. Immediately it be, after. It would be in place of, of that. So, mm-hmm. we'll, so we're on the highway here to a potential sale. It's not like they're just – they have they have what would be – I would consider like a tight window to, to find a, a, a buy, an interested buyer. You're on the same page as Vince McMahon there. That's right. <laughs> That's why he has to come back now. Yes. He has to, he has to come back and, and, and advise on this to make sure that um, – that sh- that shareholders' uh, interests are in, in, in some ways it makes sense that Vince has to approve of a sale because he's the he has eighty percent of the votes. So at least in his defense, you could say that well, if if I'm involved, at least we know that whatever sale that we're going to talk about here, if I'm involved, we'll, we'll know that I'm going to approve of it if we're if if I'm involved in these discussions and they get that far. He has to be involved. He has to be a decision maker. You know, that's what he said in the, in the PR, the PR release in the, in the letter, right? He said that, you know, if he's not involved, he's not going to sign off on any of these deals. Right. So, um, MJF summarized the, uh, the potential buyers in, strangely in the exact order that, um, that CNBC's article did, uh, saying that he feels like he doesn't talk enough about how much he loves Comcast, Fox, Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, Netflix, Amazon, Endeavor, and Liberty Media. Those are the, the companies that um, CNBC lists as potential buyers. Um, Comcast, is, is, which is the parent company of NBC Universal, which is the parent company of the USA Network, which is the parent company of Peacock, uh, that makes the most sense financially because NBC Universal is so financially invested. They're paying $200 million a year for the Peacock W Network content. They're paying $265 million a year for the raw content. Uh, those deals are probably going to have a substantial upgrade in the next round. So it makes a lot of sense to buy the house rather than to continue to rent the house. The question is, does Brian Roberts, the Comcast CEO, want to get involved with this? And the question for all these companies, this is going to be true for all the whatever seven companies or whatever it is that we're going to go through, is that do you want to do business with Vince? I guess I'll just say now, my, my, my opinion is that who's, who, who of these companies is going to buy? Who's going to buy WWE? It's the title of our podcast today. Um, who is Vince McMahon going to agree to sell the company to? I think the answer to that question is who's going to agree to allow Vince McMahon to either preserve or improve his position of power in the company. I think that's the answer to the question. And if the answer to that question is nobody, then they're not going to sell. That's my read on the situation. So now we'll go through the, uh, the potential uh, suitors and we have, um, I think it's, it, it, this will be viewable for, for people watching on YouTube. I'm not going to speak through a, a bunch of numbers here, but it's important to think about what the market cap, what the value of these companies are, um, because it it, it, it it changes the dynamics of the possible transactions. Smaller company, if we're talking about a company that's closer to the size of WWE, probably more likely talking about a merger. If we're talking about a bigger company, a way bigger company like Comcast, we're probably talking about an acquisition. Um, and what was also going to play into that is how much cash these companies have. Um, for example, all right, we'll say this number. Comcast has about $5.7 billion in cash on hand, I believe, as, as of their latest earnings report. So that's that's close to the value of 
of the market capital of WWE, which is $6.5 billion. They would probably take on a big loan to, to buy a company like WWE. Uh, and they do have a debt already. And I, I'm not qualified to tell you about how much debt plays into this, but I know it's, it's a topic, especially when it comes to Endeavor. Um, Fox, and feel free to interrupt me, Jesse, if you have thoughts here. I don't think Fox is going to buy WWE. I know Fox. Fox. I don't. I don't think most of these companies are going to buy WWE. <laughs> I think Fox is especially unlikely. Uh, Fox. Yes, they have the SmackDown rights. Yes, they would be buying the house instead of re- renting the house. But Fox has been has been leaning down, and Fox it, itself may be a part of some big merger in the future. So I don't think they're they're in the mode of of taking on a, a you know a six or seven billion dollar or more uh, valuable asset like WWE would be. Um, the Walt Disney Company. Bob Iger is back. Bob Chapik is out. Um, is Disney going to buy WWE and may- maybe put put it into the into the ESPN universe? I guess that would make sense. Maybe there's IP uh, a business that they could do uh, with with their theme parks and and with who knows what Nick else. Khan's, Nick Khan's dream, right? You can go on to WWE. We can go to you know Disney's Hollywood Studios and we can go to WWE Land and we can yes. do some really expensive immersive dark ride where we're experience get the experience of a wwe superstar you can, you can visit w universe world in, in orlando florida maybe someday um or may, may, maybe there'd be tapings right right there in in, in, uh, on, in disney world but anyway disney is one um do i think disney is going to buy this company i doubt it i doubt i doubt the brand matches there i guess you know if, if, the, if the price is low enough does it make sense I, th- I think that's a question for for people who know more about m&a than i do um but i don't think a professional wrestling and b professional wrestling company with with the return of the disgrace Vince McMahon is something that Disney the Mickey Mouse company would want to be involved in that's my initial reaction to the notion no and you look at like okay the major IP that WWE has or Disney has gone out and purchased um has been you know okay Marvel Marvel Star Wars I guess you could say like parts of the 20th century Fox Pixar, right? Yeah, Pixar is weird because Pixar started. I think Disney started out as a Pixar investor in some ways, and then ended up outright purchasing the uh, studio. But um, I mean, Pixar is a no-brainer if you're Disney. But all these fit a certain type of umbrella that I don't know if WWE fits. I think out of all of the ones that are listed here, I think there's like two or three that WWE kind of makes sense to be purchased by, not only from a a content standpoint, but kind of what kind of businesses these big companies are already in, you know, is Disney going to run a, I guess, you know, Disney pro- promotes live events all the time. So that wouldn't be that unusual, but it would be strange to me that Disney was running, you know, organizing 150 WWE shows a year and, uh, well, Saudi- it would all be delegated to, a lot of the same management, I'm, I'm sure. Right. The Saudi Arabia deals, like how do those factor into perhaps being purchased by one of these companies that relate to the WWE's relationship with Saudi Arabia? Um, WWE's celebration of the Saudi Arabian government. Um, Disney is something Disney has learned over the last five or six years is that Disney's fan base is pretty conscious of certain decisions, especially when it comes to, um, you know, progressive political issues and uh political correctness in general um is would 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 and they've been very cautious about kind of steering around certain questions like that 
Uh, yeah. They've, they've had some uh, some issues with uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, right? With with the Florida bills, they've had you know they've you know been they've reimagined part, you know some of their rides that were seen as culturally offensive. They've you know been very kind of conscientious of this, and they've when they've made mistakes on that end, they've heard about it from their rapid fan base. Uh, so a company like WWE, which has a lot of skeletons in the closet, I just doesn't fit the Disney brand at all. Something that I've, I've heard Lightshade analysts say too, and this is many months ago, but, but at the notion that maybe would Disney acquire WWE is that Disney w- wasn't wasn't really that impressed with the content. Now that was a long time ago. That was their belief, and this was when Bob Chapek was the CEO and not Bob Iger, but. Warner Brothers Discovery, our, our, our friends David Zasloff uh, and his team. Uh, this is a company that that, I, that is complete of, of all the big media companies is the one that is most in cost cutting mode and is most in in fiscal conservatism right now. I would be very surprised if um, if they bought WWE, uh, but but it is um, an, uh, a, a fun thought to think about the company that is broadcasting. Uh, AEW to buy would 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 buy WWE and, and where would that leave AEW? But I think it's especially unlikely that Warner Brothers Discovery would would buy uh, WWE. Um, Netflix. Um, I still have some Netflix shares. I am I've I'm no longer an Amazon. I'm trying to get rid of my my media securities. Um, so Netflix has has made it clear. Executives have made it clear that they if they're going to get into live sports, they don't want to license. Uh, live sports rights, uh, which which makes sense. This is it's it's an increasingly expensive product. Live sports rights fees, which we talk about all the time, how live sports rights fees are are multiplying. We expect WWE uh, if they don't sell the company to get a one point five, one point seven, maybe greater increase in in their Raw and SmackDown fees. Um, but Netflix would be interested in buying a company rather than licensing their fees. Um, maybe there were discussions between Netflix and and Formula One about that that didn't happen um it makes some sense for those reasons why netflix would be an interested buyer uh i would be more willing to believe this if netflix had already made some step into any kind of live sports whether that's international or u.s uh but they haven't yet and i don't i would be surprised if their first step is wwe right and a lot of this was related to like netflix expressing some interest in the formula one series which is different in the sense that Netflix kind of had a direct stake in the rise in popularity of Formula One in the United States. And it kind of made sense for them to go in on that end, as opposed to outright purchasing this brand that presumably the Netflix fan base has no real interest um, specifically in. There has been WWE content on Netflix documentaries um, over the years. But yeah. Uh, One of the biggest companies in the world, Amazon. Amazon Prime Video broadcasters of Thursday Night Football now, uh, would they be interested? We speculated that, and, and, and Golo and I, in our prediction show, we predicted that. Uh, SmackDown, it's hard to predict where they're going to end up. We lean towards Amazon Prime Video picking up SmackDown. Would they buy WWE outright? Maybe. Um, they, bought, they bought MGM Studios not long ago. Uh, so they're, they're, they're among the three that I see as most likely, along with Comcast, and we'll get to Endeavor. Yeah, like, the CNBC article says, well, you know, they've gone out and made big purchases outside of what you would typically associate with Amazon, right? They purchased Whole Foods. They purchased, right. you know, Metro Goldwyn Meyer, like you just said. Uh, they have like, uh, you know, the potential, obviously the money to do it 
again, it would seem to be a pretty different type of purchase. I guess you could the video library would help Amazon Prime. Theoretically, the you know if Ron SmackDown were on Amazon Prime, that would obviously help the streaming side of it. Uh, and obviously, they have the financial you know capabilities to make that happen. Um, 58, 59 billion dollars in cash on hand. They they could buy WWE with with cash. WWE, if they were to go, if they were to, it would be fascinating to see them go to Amazon, and if all of their content were to go to streaming, that would be a really fascinating development for like WWE as like a popularity standpoint. And and, and I think if, if Amazon bought WWE, I don't think that necessarily means that all the content would be on Amazon. Probably. No, they could see on stream. They could still license it to a broadcast, they, which right. I they could, they could, they could buy it and then still be like, Oh, USA, if you know, NBC, if yeah. you want to pay $500 million, I, I, I don't think the time is now for WWE to, to be exclusively on streaming. I don't think that would, but be if you're, but if you're like Amazon, you're this giant company and you can afford to kind of make that investment. Um, it, that would be a real fascinating development. Uh, it would be a real test to see um, if you know they can maintain their their dominance in the industry based only on streaming. If we're there yet as a society, um, have you seen any of like the end of the year kind of summaries of Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime and kind of the data compared to last well, seasons? I, I, of I haven't Night looked Football? closely at, at Thursday Night Football ratings since the middle of the season, but I've you know I've. I've made the point that hey, if you look at 1849 i know the total viewership is way behind the other prime time nfl telecasts but if you look at the, the 1849 1834 all that stuff is now on showbuzz at least for for after the last four after the first four weeks or so anyway the younger demos are pretty comparable for prime video games versus monday night football versus sunday night yeah. football so this is this is the this is the um this is from john R. Uh, Orand, Orand. Do you know how to say his name? John Arad. Uh, yeah, John Arad of Sports Business Journal, <laughs> and he has. Ah, oh, um, oh, you jerk! You just told me the wrong way to pronounce it. <laughs> That's how Chris Russo says it. All right. Anyway, uh, you know Thursday Night Football from so this year it was at nine point six million viewers on Amazon. Last year when it was on Fox. NFL network and Amazon, it was 16.2 million viewers. So that's a 41% drop in total viewers. Um, uh, 18 to 49 uh, is, is fared much better. And in fact, in 18 to 34 viewers, it was up 11%. So, uh, and then Endeavor, Endeavor is um, the parent company of UFC. Endeavor is run by Arya Manuel, the, the famous sports agent who's probably friendly with, with Nick Khan. Uh, analysts believe that this is the best fit for an acquirer of WWE. They are a $10 billion market capital company, so um, a little bit more than what WWE is, is valued at. I mean, almost twice as much, but but we're, we're talking about one, one of the smaller companies among, among the group that we're looking at here. Uh, but it makes a lot of sense. I can say that it makes a lot of sense for a talent agency, a, a company that certainly knows how to make media deals. Um, this is not a company that would be broadcasting uh, WWE content like Amazon would, like Netflix would, like WBD theoretically would, like Dot, Disney, Fox, Comcast. All of the the companies that we've talked about so far are companies with broadcast platforms or you know TV or streaming platforms that could directly put their, that content on those platforms. Uh, but Endeavor would presumably continue to license W content if they acquired. Right. And because of their history and the, the recent success of purchasing UFC and the kind of uh, investment that that's turned into for them, they make logical sense as far as if you're looking for a track record of a company that has done a similar style purchase uh, 
and has had it work out for them because UFC from a market perspective is really the most similar company to WWE, unless you want to maybe say AEW. But uh, that, that makes a lot more sense to me than like Disney or Netflix or these companies that would kind of be going into a whole new venture if they were to purchase WWE. And they, uh, they manage UFC. They, they've, they've given Dana White control. I can imagine that being reassuring to, to Vince that, hey, let, let me be like Dana White in UFC and let me have control here. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the notion that, that Dana White, the embattled Dana White this week uh, and, and Vince McMahon would be uh, leading these, these two major entities in, in, a, in a future endeavor um, is, is uh, worth additional conversation. Uh, then Liberty Media, the parent company of Formula One, of the Atlanta Braves. Anything else notable that they own? No, I think those are the two big ones, right? Uh, they're a $13 billion market capital company, so about twice as valuable as WWE in terms of stock. Uh, all these companies are, are publicly traded stocks, by the way, so far. So far. We'll get into a couple that are not. Uh, so there, there will be another one that doesn't have a broadcast platform that would presumably license, but they have experience in sports, certainly. Um, so a lot of a lot of different sizes companies that we're talking about here as you can see uh, for people watching in video here uh the chart amazon is you know multiple times bigger than anybody else we're talking about here uh they used to be a trillion dollar company back when the the market was 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 more healthy or irrational uh and so if we just take amazon off off the table here netflix comcast and disney are sort of in a tier of their own in terms of being what worth well over 100 billion dollars in market capital um and then you've got smaller ones like Warren Brothers Discovery, which is bigger than Fox, which is bigger than Liberty Media, which is bigger than Endeavor, which are all right. you know all substantially bigger than WWE. And, so, and if we're looking at this, these are all publicly traded companies. All. These are all companies where ultimately Vince would still be beholden to stock prices and investors and the SEC if they wanted to get involved. Um, and that I'll we'll go to the super chat now because it's related to the point I'm going to make, but. Black saw Johnny Hex with the five dollar super chat. Thank you. Uh, it says, "What if Vince found funding to take it private again? Are there suitors out there that would help Vince potentially take the company private? Not him buying all of the stock back because I don't think Vince possesses the personal wealth to do that, but a way for Vince to potentially take the company private again, which ultimately would give him kind of more control over the company because he wouldn't be." beholden to investors or SEC restrictions or things like that. That's possible. And that's something that Frank Riddick named as, as a possible outcome. Um, maybe that's something that could happen. And, and as, as you mentioned, I agree that you need a lot of other investors to, to work along with you. Um, what well, one group that I, that I haven't included here, um, is it red capital? The, uh, the Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia, uh, group that has bought the XFL. Maybe that's, of a potential bidder also. Um, well, there is one notable group that's not included on this chart because I, I see on your market capitalization chart, uh, I think it would be, might be helpful to add the entire GDP of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia as a potential purchaser. Front office of sports WWE. reported yesterday it was yesterday or Friday, very recently that Saudi Arabia's public investment fund is emerging as a possible bidder for WWE. If the promotion puts itself up for sale, sources told front office sports, the public investment fund controls about $620 billion in assets, like 100 times the value of, of WWE's stock. 
Vince McMahon's sports entertainment company could be the next possible step in its global sports expansion. W has a deep history with Saudi Arabia holding its crown jewel. W Live and Great Royal Rumble events there in recent years. W has a 10-year agreement to hold two live events per year in the kingdom. The deal is worth $100 million a year to W, according to WrestleNomics. In the same way they did uh, with Liv, there's an unlimited facet of dollars there, Lightshed Partners analyst Brandon Ross told Front Office Sports. The Saudis are already a decent part of the profitability of the company just on those two Saudi-based W events alone. They're trying to be relevant in the entertainment world. Uh, the Saudi government also owns Newcastle United, the Premier League team. So it's something that's that we should consider as possible. Right, so they're getting more involved in sports around the globe, and this would fit kind of what they're going for, especially because they're trying, like as Brandon Ross said, uh, longtime friend of the podcast, Brandon Ross, uh, they're trying to be relevant in the entertainment world. I mean, this would be truly fascinating from a, from a, from a television perspective, you know, live golf has struggled to get television deals. Um, and part of that is related to being a vehicle for the Saudi Arabia government. Um, what would this do to W's brand value if they were owned like live golf is owned and they have their own brand issues if they were owned by the Saudi public investment fund? Right. Um, what would the women's division in WWE look like? Well, I, I think I think there would still be a women's division. Uh, somebody brought up to me what would happen to Sami Zayn if you know if right. Sami Zayn has not been allowed to participate in the events in Saudi Arabia since since the deal has started. Um, I, I would imagine this would be my my expectations that the, the company would still operate with similar leadership that it has now uh, independently in the United States. It's not like they would shut down the women's division and, and, or, or fire all the women and fire Sami Zayn. But I, and I think it would, it would, you'd see Saudi events maybe more often uh, in, in the country. Uh, WrestleMania in Saudi Arabia. In Riyadh, for sure. Bring the tourists in. Yeah. Wow. The place where magical things happen. Um, WWE's media relationship. see. Sorry, and, and it's a bitter that I could see being more tolerant of whatever problems or whatever additional stories may come to light surrounding Vince McMahon. Right. That would be – that's kind of like the logical thing to say would be that this would be an entity that wouldn't really have any – presumably wouldn't have any problems with Vince McMahon running the company still. It might be if Vince is friendly with the Saudi Arabian government, which we believe he is. He has maybe feuded with them in the past, but – uh you know, would be this would be a way for Vince to take the company private and also, you know, instill him in power in an organization that trusts him to run things, um, which I think is really important uh, to look at as far as what Vince would be interested in this sale, which would be selling to a company that would want him in charge. And I think the Saudi Arabian government might be one of those entities. Uh, another private company, the former employer of Nick Khan, creative art, artist agency, uh, sort of like Endeavor's big uh, talent agency. Uh, they, they in just in June, they acquired uh, another, I believe this is a talent agency called ICM partners for $750 billion. This is the, uh, I think I have the slide up here too, but this is, this is an article from variety from June 28th detailing their, their acquisition of ICM partners. So they've become a bigger company. They're not a publicly traded company. So we don't know as much about what their financial situation is. Uh, but that's that's another possibility, and cer- certainly one I'm sure v- Nikon could easily pick up the phone and uh, start to discuss uh, if he wanted to.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So those are all of them. Am I leaving any out that that, that you or anybody else wants wants to bring up? Um, I mean, Twitter likes the idea of the Khan family buying WWE. I don't the see Khan that as family. reasonable or feasible, but I guess they would have the money. But um, I don't think that's going There's, to happen. If I'm Tony, like, why would you do that? Like that's that's my question. I'll ask anybody, and people will say like, "Oh, you can own, you know, buy out your biggest competition, or own their video library, or just like how WWE bought WCW, or all these things." And it's like Tony and the Con, the Con family themselves have constructed their own wrestling company that has proven to be successful through its first few years. Why would they just now just want to buy WWE? Wouldn't they be better off? Wouldn't Tony find greater satisfaction in building up this company that he started from scratch as opposed to just purchasing WWE and, you know, leveraging your, your, your wealth or maybe leading an investment party. Now, what would be more realistic to me than the Khan family buying WWE? If you want to inter entertain this fantasy of Tony Khan running WWE would be perhaps a third party company or, or one of these big organizations that we just talked about that has the wealth to purchase WWE and maybe has an interest in buying WWE. They buy the company, but then they look at the management structure and say, we don't want any McMahons involved at all. Just at which point says, no, I'm out. Yeah. Right. Which is, again, this is totally unrealistic, but does Khan, Tony Khan would be the person you would look at and say, at least this is someone who's has experience running a wrestling company before and is not tied to the McMahon family. So we feel more comfortable with them in charge. But again, it seems very, 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 very unrealistic and only funny from a, a pure meme perspective. Yes. T Tony Khan was, seemed to be celebratory about, about the news that came out uh, at the end of the week uh, with, with some tweets. Uh, you know, Tony, without, I know the dynamite rating was disappointing, but it's a pretty big week for Tony as far as, uh, You know, the Jaguars WWE, won, the, won the division, did they not? The Jaguars made the playoffs last night. They won the AFC South. Fulham is... Uh, is there any winning threat. team in the AFC South? Is that, is that one of the, the divisions? That's well, they're nine. Team? I believe the Jaguars are nine and eight. So okay. Okay. their win last night put them over the hump uh, to be like more like, a, I guess, the hump of respectability from a record standpoint and not like a not like when the Seahawks were seven and nine and won their, uh, the, the NFC West. But um Yeah, he's, Jaguars riding high. Fulham having their best season in like 15 years. They're riding high. Uh, his competition seems to be imploding uh, from a management perspective. Uh, it's a good week for Tony. Is this good news for AEW? Is a question that I've been asked by a few people in the last few days. 
if you assume that like Vince being ousted and Triple H coming, you know, coming in charge uh, was bad news for Tony, um, then yeah, this this would have to be considered a positive step. I don't think it hurts AEW. Um, do, do you? No, no. I think if um... again, Vin, we don't know how much Vince is actually going to be in charge. If 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 my speculation turns out to be correct, and Vince is you know slowly working his way back into a creative capacity. Um, then yeah, he, um, then, then, I, then yeah, I this would be it, a positive. If not keep his hands out of creative and he does get back involved in creative, it will be to the detriment of their, their brand perception with fans, at least some fans. And it will be to the detriment of, of the morale of at least some talent. And that will better allow AEW to attract fans and to attract talent. And that'll be good for AEW. Uh, we'll see how it plays out though. Um, I just want to focus on, Two, the and this is you know it's easy to focus on talent and these big personalities, but if for for employees at WWE, um, just the uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen next, and is there is there going to be a merger and acquisition? What what happens when there's a big merger and acquisition in companies? It usually eventually results in a lot of layoffs. So I think that's creating a lot of uncertainty and anxiety with within uh, WWE's uh, you know everyday employees. So that's a that, that's one of the the stories that you probably won't hear talked about a lot because that's not you know all these known personalities who are on television, but um, but that's that's an important thing for the more than eight hundred employees that W has. Um, so I want to focus too on something else that W put in its uh, they put in its filing uh, here showing that. All these bylaws, all these bylaw amendments that that Vince Vince made, they're they're very uh, technical. But he writes in here that he has to approve. Uh, what does what does this say here? Nor the officers, yada yada. Media material media contracting action he has to approve of as defined below, and that is defined as material media contract action means X entering into or Y. Any material modification, amendment, extension, or renewal of or similar action with respect to, in either case, any contract, action, or transaction involving the sale, licensing, distribution, or other transfer of material media broadcasting, whether by cable, satellite, broadcast, television, or streaming, or other digital platform, or similar rights of the corporation of any subsidiaries. Anyway, Vince is writing in here what was not in here before, up to this point. I have to approve of any TV rights deal. You can't do a TV rights deal unless I say you can. And that that is his his mode of leverage he's saying he, that he's he's willing to risk potential billions of dollars of television deals so he can get back in power right yeah this this is we all understood i think and all agree that yes the, the shareholders the overwhelmingly the most powerful of, of whom is vince mcmahon would have to approve of a company sale company merger but he doesn't have to approve of of a tv rights deal when I read that in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday afternoon, I was like, what is he? What is this he talking about? He doesn't have the power to have to approve of a TV rights deal. He's changing the rules, so he does. Um, I, I, I would challenge anyone listening to go through SEC filings <laughs> and find me anything similar in any, any publicly traded company's bylaws that gives shareholders the right to approve or disapprove of a TV deal or something similar. Uh, I don't... I, I, doubt you're going to find anything like this in any other publicly traded company. Right. Vince so the, open, open up himself to, to liability in the future. 
a lawyer would have to to inform us. Right. So that's what this is why when I when I first came across this, it felt like a, like such a nuclear option, right? Which is him basically saying like this company won't be able to make a dime unless I'm put back in charge. That's basically what he's saying because th- th- we all know the TV rights deals are the biggest mover for WWE and, and are what makes WWE such a powerful, successful, profitable company. Um, so the fact that he would risk that and basically use that as his leverage, um, that's how he was able to bully his way back into this position, even though most, it seems like the board of directors and certainly the existing power structure in WWE didn't want him back. Yeah. Okay. So what else have we got here? As I click around. Um, Again, if you want to put in a question or super chat, we'll, we'll handle those at the end, or or, or maybe we'll interject them. Uh, so, and the other thing that's happening here is was we learned from the scandal that happened over the summer. I, I'd, I'd like to trot out this this hierarchy pyramid, the hierarchy of WWE influence, with Vince McMahon at the top, and nobody really influences WWE like Vince McMahon influences WWE, and you you think that. Uh, the media, the mainstream media influences or, or talent or fans influence WWE. Well, they're all below business partners. Uh, and, I, and I never thought to put the, at the very top what, what we've had to add here in our own amendment to our own documents here of the W hierarchy of influence. I've, I've added to the top what has even more influence than Vince McMahon, than business partners, it's federal government agencies. Uh, Wall Street Journal reported in July that U.S. attorneys – and the Securities and Exchanges Commission, the SEC, is investigating Vince, and that that hastened his resignation. Excuse me, retirement, whichever you prefer. He just felt like he was getting a little old and needed to retire. That was all. It's been a hell of a run. He feels I'm younger now. So, so the, according to WWE's board's letter to Vince, and I would encourage people to read that, and I, I wrote a summary um, – on all the news that that was happening uh, on Friday, that's at WrestleNomics.com. That's readable for everybody. Um, these these there's three letters, two letters from Vince to the board, one letter from the board to Vince, uh, where the, the board writes, and I think I might have the slide in here. The, the board writes that um, you know we've yes I do have it right here. The board writes that uh, uh, on December 27th they write this. Although we we welcome your participation in the launch of strategic alternatives process. It is our unanimous view. Remember, this, this includes Nick, Paul, and Stephanie. Our unanimous view that you return to the company at this time while government investigations into your conduct by U.S. Attorney's Office and SEC are still pending. I'll interject. This was written on December 27th, a couple weeks ago. Those investigations still pending. Would not be prudent from a shareholder value perspective. This determination is based on a variety of factors, including non-public information the board has become aware of and the risks of the company and its shareholders of placing a greater spotlight on those issues. What issues could they be talking about? What non-public information could they be talking about? Who knows? But maybe there's more um, allegations of sexual misconduct against Vince. He has allegations of everything from sexual harassment to sexual assault to rape against him from seven different women. Maybe there's more stories that the public doesn't know about uh, that, that the board has become aware of because of their investigation in, into all of that, which they spent millions of dollars on. One of the points of contention, if you're, if you're not aware, between the board and Vince seems to be whether Vince is going to pay for the expenses related to that investigation that the board did in, into his conduct and Laurinaitis' conduct. The board try, tried to, in, in Vince's word, extract an agreement that, that Vince would not come back to the company and he would agree to pay for the investigation. He said he's going to pay for the investigation in excess of whatever insurance doesn't cover 
Um, he said that, uh, you know, he didn't like that they were trying to ex extract an agreement from him and get him to agree that he would not come back to the company in exchange for W's board saying, we won't sue you if you agree to say you're going to not come back to the company and pay back these expenses. So n none of that happened. No, they didn't agree to any of that. And then Vince, as we know, just the other day, just decided he's going to use his power and come back. So what obstacles could be put in the way of, of Vince upcoming? Maybe more allegations. Is that a really deterring obstacle? Maybe. Um, maybe to the extent that it actually does scare networks and advertisers and other business partners. And to, to just to go back to the last quote real quick, it also that kind of that letter that was written on December 27th, again, only two weeks ago. And then yesterday we have Stephanie McMahon telling everyone that this is a great development that Vince McMahon is back in the company. Yes. So that's kind of evidence of why it's so skeptical that, that Stephanie's and then the rest of the, you know, Stephanie Paul and Nikon's positions on Vince's return don't seem particularly truthful at the moment. Stephanie McMahon said on November 30th at the Wells Fargo conference that they did see a pause when it came to selling their advertisements and sponsorships. Um, did that extend to, to TV networks? I suspect it did. Um, and she didn't make it explicitly clear, but it's, it's extremely unlikely that she's referring to anything but the scandal surrounding Vince over the summer. I mean, she was strongly implied in her statements, and this was not the first time she had even mentioned something like this. She mentioned something like this in the most recent earnings call that happened, um, I believe, late October or early November, whenever that, that Q3 call was. So the big questions then going forward are, can, can Vince keep himself out of the grill position, out of the writer's room, and really let Paul Levesque handle this? The message right now is yes. He will let Paul Levesque continue to be the head of creative. Nothing will change with the creative process. People will be, you know, Fans online, I'm sure, will, will, will be combing through WWE content for signs of Vince's fingerprints on the programming more than ever going forward. Um, so those are some of the big questions. Um, another big question, I think, is um, Nick Khan has, has a five-year deal to be an executive with WWE, which started in 2020 when he came on. Um, does this make it more likely that Nick Khan is not going to stay with this company? Uh, I don't know if he would have anyway. Because maybe he's a really sought after executive that could go on to a, a bigger media company and, and in, in, into a big job. But um, I don't know if, 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 if I were him, I could imagine being uncomfortable with what's happening here. And maybe, maybe uh, it would be uh, more rewarding to work somewhere else when his contract is up. Yeah, I can't. I don't know what's inside his head. I don't know how he operates. Maybe he sees this all as just standard op operating procedure and he's not bothered by it at all. But it would seem, one would seem to imagine that he would be open to a, a uh, working for a company where he could perhaps even be better compensated than he is with WWE and not have this kind of unstable power struggle that he's he's kind of been feels like kind of like he's been sucked into it. Right. If, they, if we believe this power struggle between Vince and his children um, Nick Khan seems to be kind of stuck in the middle between those two parties because uh, just by being the you know COO and, and and being the person who's most important to WWE's ability to negotiate effectively. I mean, he's mm -hmm. proved that, and that's his reputation. Um, we've is, got a f sure. I was go gonna say we, we've got a few WWE super chats. If you want to get to them, yeah, go for it. So the first one is from Dalmar Abdi. 
he says, surely Fox puts up a fight to keep SmackDown. A lot of their weekly primetime shows are underperforming with total viewers slash the demo and reruns are doing well under 1 million. I think he's talking about in response to, but you know, perhaps WWE's content moving away from Fox. If like Amazon were to purchase them or NBCU or another rival broadcasting entity that would then have the TV rights to themselves. Yeah. I think it's a toss up whether SmackDown stays on Fox or maybe maybe it goes to NBCU or maybe it goes to um, something like Amazon Prime Video. I guess th- those are the three most likely destinations to me, but I think it's you can almost flip a coin. But we we lean towards Amazon Prime Video. Um, Fo- Fox, we looked at the Nielsen you know year over year changes last week, and, and Fox is well down, well in excess of of the degree which SmackDown is down, which I think is actually up one percent year over year. Uh, last year. Nicholas Jervy asks, when F- Wall Street analysts expect a sale and it doesn't happen for years, does it raise their final financial expectations when a sale does happen? Expect a sale and it doesn't happen. Does it raise their f- their financial expectations when a sale does happen? I think what he what he means, I, my interpretation of it is that we've had, you know, the stock price jump up a few times now because right. investors have expected a sale. Um, does that kind of consistent teasing of a potential sale um, help increase financial expectations for the eventual sale? Where if you say, oh, we're going to sell it, like, oh, maybe not. And then you say a year later, oh, we're thinking about selling it. Maybe not. Um, Does that increase? uh, Okay, now we know each time you do it now, like when a sale does happen, it's got to be really big because they tease this the first few times. Does does the expectation, the repeated expectation that that it's going to happen raise the overall expectation? Um, I think not, not, not more so than would be, would be normal in any other company, I guess. Um, I think what's, what's baked into the stock price right now is, you know, a lot. If W doesn't sell, if, if we're talking here in, in the summer or if we're talking here a year from now and W has not sold, um, it depends on what, what, what will really inform this is that, you know, if W just ends up renewing rights with, with TV partners in the spring, then they're not selling anytime soon. And it, what W stock price does at that point will depend on, on what the value of those deals are. If they don't sell, I mean, this, this, let me put the, the stock chart on the screen. Um, if, if this, if, if W doesn't get like a, a way over 1.5 X deal, the stock price is going to crash, right? Because what's baked into the stock price now is the notion that they're going to sell somewhere around $84 a share. You know, if, if they get a 1.7 X increase in, in their TV rights deal, which would be within the expectations, if they don't sell the company, this stock price is probably going to go back down to $70 or something like that, mm-hmm. $75. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I've written in, in estimates and based on the math that I've done in the big, big spreadsheet is that, you know, the, the fair value of the stock, not including any M&A speculation is that, you know, about $75 seems like the right price to me. So we've got, you know, $10 worth and whatever that is is a percentage worth of, of M&A speculation baked into this stock. If they only renew rights fees at the expected rate, the, the stock price corrects for that. Uh, it will go back down to 75 or something like that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's what's baked in. That's what's expected now. And, it could, and they look, if they, if they sell the company and it's sold at whatever – it's sold at a higher price than whatever the market is kind of – expecting based on this it's going to go way up too um if they make a huge deal where they i don't know they sell wb for 10 billion dollars to somebody the stock price is going to go way up um 
and and I, and what I expect would happen then for shareholders is that let's say Comcast buys them that that W shareholders would would I, I think there's different ways the deal could be done. But I think they, you know, W shareholders would get Comcast stock at that point, or or their, or their W stock would just become no longer changing in price, and they would get a fi- whatever the rate was that they sold the company for. Whether whether let's say Comcast bought it for like a hundred dollars a share, all their shares would just be locked in at a hundred dollars, and the shareholders could liquidate at that point. But somebody who knows more about the stock market, I'm sure, could right. give me a more and detailed answer. Louis Dakota says. Fulham and Jag's success meaningful meaningfully affect AW. I would think not. Maybe it affects Tony Khan's mood. Maybe. <laughs> Tony, yes, yes. If we talk, if we think of Tony Khan's mood as a potential thing, I would say no. I mean, from like a con, from like a con. Tony Khan appeared to be in a great mood this week. Yeah, from a con family financial perspective, uh, Fulham's success means that they're going to make more money being up in the Premier League opposed to being in the lower division championship uh, is good from a financial perspective if they are able to qualify for a European competition next year based on their finish in the Premier League table this year that would obviously increase their financial ability but I imagine that the financial gains picked up from whether it's Fulham or Jaguars or the Jaguars success would remain with those organizations and not be used it's not like they can suddenly spend more money because Fulham qualified qualified for the uh, UEFA uh, Conference League or something like that. Right. Um, Whatever money the Khan family has is not at least immediately affected by the winningness of the teams that they also own, right? Yeah, I mean... I guess they could sell more tickets at the stadium, or I don't know if they're already selling out, but it's not a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, so like from Tony, like, it, it, it comes down to like... I think people see, okay, Tony's worth, you know, Tony's family is worth billions and billions of dollars, gives off the impression that AEW has some sort of like unlimited budget for things, which isn't the case. But, um, so him making more money off of his, 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 according to Google, Shad Khan's net worth is 11.4 billion. Who knows how much of that is actually liquid. Right. Like, okay, could, could Shad Khan buy WWE? Yes. Would he have to sell the Jaguars to do it? Maybe. I mean, eleven point um, four billion dollars may or may not be enough money if you liquidated all of his assets. Yeah. There may or may not be enough money to buy WWE. Yeah. So I don't know. That. Could you? Could you? Could 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 the Khan family be part of an investment team to purchase I suppose, WWE? Yes, that that's more reasonable. And but also the Khan's, <laughs> Well, yeah, and with the Khan's family's um, proven ability to run a professional organization, convince other investors to get involved. Yes. Um, got a few more super chats. Um, Bobby Means says, who do you think is the likely buyer, if there is one? I guess Endeavor is the most likely one to me, followed by Comcast, followed by Amazon. No Liberty Media Group? No, I haven't. I haven't put as much thought into Liberty Media, but... Mm-hmm. Not the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia? I haven't put as much thought into that, but maybe. I mean, maybe they're up there as a reasonable, especially one that Vince would agree to and that that, that might not have the concerns that others would have about Vince being involved. Yeah. If you believe this is Vince's quest to get back into power, then Saudi Arabia could be, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have a likely buyer. I kind of, I'm kind of skeptical. They're still going to sell personally. Um, MJ says in early 2022, you thought fair value was $60. What changed between then and now you say $75. 
certainty of TV increases, better consumerism, live events. Maybe uh, I don't. We have to go back and look at the spreadsheets and why. Did I, did I say sixty dollars? Um, I don't know. Um, the reassurance that that the TV deal will be positive if if they do end up renewing rather than selling the company. Um, the I think you know this 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 is how much does AEW actually play into W stock? I think is an interesting question. And in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about you know getting too bogged down into small world wrestling conversations when in w scale that's i think that's easy for fans to over overestimate how much wrestling stuff including things that like that are related to w to AEW, actually affects WWE. but the exit of vince uh re- was reassuring to what i be- how i believe consumer trends will play out including ticket sales merchandise sales and, and and tv ratings will 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 play out um I would have to go back, MJ, and look at my look at my sp- spreadsheet. What I was what what I was doing in early 2022. But yeah, last I looked at it, I think 70, 75, 75 probably is is a good good price. Do you think it was notable in any way, shape, or form that w- we don't have the final SmackDown numbers, but we have the kind of the fast nationals or whatever the, the overnights fast affiliates, and, yeah, the fast affiliates. Um, and that it seems like the SmackDown rating was about in line with what previous shows have been doing. It's back down from doing the really big number for the John Cena tag team match from last week. Uh, or are you surprised at all to see that, at least from the number that we have at the moment, that you know the news breaking and Vince McMahon's return uh, to the company, is a, at least from an executive perspective, um, didn't seem to lead to any notable increase in interest uh, in, in SmackDown this week in a, in a show that didn't acknowledge Vince McMahon's return in any way, shape or form, or didn't promote Vince McMahon's return at all. So, so uh, yeah, for, for people watching on, on, in video, I'm circling with my mouse here. This is, this is the, the show where Vince came, Vince made an appearance two days after the wall street journal report, the same day that he steps down on a temporary basis as CEO and, and chairman. Um, and it did this big spike versus where it had been. I think it was going against a lot of NBA playoffs. So it was, it was way down, uh, at, at its lowest levels of the year. Uh, this is the Bray Wyatt non-return on September 23rd, and this is the John Cena uh, episode at over 2.6 million, which is higher than anything since 2020. Uh, but right back down to normal. So this news, I mean, this news also didn't get. I don't think this got nearly the mainstream coverage that that the the June 17th story did of him stepping mm-hmm. down, stepping down on a, on a temporary basis. The real step down is July 22nd to me. Um, but on July twenty, around July twenty second, was that that was a Friday? That was a Friday, and there was, doesn't maybe it's maybe it's this episode right here. But it did a normal mm-hmm. rating at that time, so yeah, I think it, that's this is yeah, this is not that surprising that it would be at, at this level. I, I did, did think about that ahead of time. I was like, well, will the will the will the news result in an increase in the rating? Because we saw not only on June seventeenth that the SmackDown rating was way up. Because of, and Vince was advertised, but we saw that the Raw rating was way, way up. And yes, Vince appeared as a surprise, but he was in no way advertised. And then we saw the next day, no Vince whatsoever on NXT. And NXT did a bigger rating than usual, which was just mm-hmm. flabbergasting. But I, I don't know. The rating is fine. What else? Well, good on Super Chats? Uh, we just got one more, I guess, if you want to talk before we talk New Japan. Um, Dalmar Abdi asks, does the dwindling 18 to 49 affect AEW's next TV deal? Um, depends what you mean by dwindling. I would say does this immediate past week's poor eighteen to forty nine rating affect the TV deal? Probably not. But does a trend 
going downwards year over year in 1849 affect the TV deal? Probably. Probably be better if it wasn't going down, right? Yes. I, I would agree with that. I, I wouldn't get caught up on one week's rating. Not to explain away that last week's rating was a good rating. It was not. That was a very bad rating. But what's going to influence the TV deal to, to the extent that TV ratings do, which is very significant, uh, is, is what it's averaging, not what one week does. But, but 2.6 does not help their – it hurts their, their average for sure. We'll see trends going forward. 2.6 would be great. You mean 0.26. Excuse me, 0.26. Thank you. There's still, still 2.6 is like, a mo- well. is like a Monday Night Football. <laughs> yes, yes. You're right. Okay. Um, one more thing I want to touch on, and we'll move on to some Wrestle Kingdom with the time you have left. Uh, John Pollock wrote an article, editorial, saying – you know, talking about the, the Dana White story – his wife slapped him. He slapped her back. That's on video on New Year's Eve. Uh, the 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 power slap show that's going to air after Dynamite uh, was supposed to debut, I believe, this past Wednesday. It's been postponed to next week. I think I'm getting that right. But it's definitely been postponed one week later than when it was supposed to happen. There's questions around whether that show would ever see air. Uh, ESPN passed the buck to UFC. There has been a lot of comment on this, except for Dana White. Okay, that's what's happening with UFC Dana White Endeavor. Uh, Vince McMahon has seven known sexual misconduct allegations against him from seven different women. He he voluntarily resigned in July, but he's back now. Uh, notably in that meeting that, that was given to employees, there's no discussion about company culture or company policy related to sexual harassment or anything like that. Uh, what consequences are there for people? What does this say about, I don't know, maybe combat sports in particular, wrestling in particular, maybe MMA in particular, uh, or just, I don't know, society in general and then what we uh, value. And are we, I guess from a media perspective, are we, um, are we getting on to the, the well, wow, what's going to happen here? Money, are they going to sell for how many billions of dollars rather than focusing on what's happening morally with these companies? Um, yeah, I mean, I say, I, like... <sighs> I was joining in in the laughing and the hijinks of like, uh, you know, the, the craziness of Vince coming back and what's going to happen at Triple H, what's going to happen to like William Regal, who just came back to WWE to be Triple H's like right hand man. And all of a sudden now Vince is back in charge. Um, but behind all that humor is somebody who's a bad person who's coming back to his company, um, unapologetic, unpunished, um, and doesn't seem to be meeting that much resistance. Um, and I kind of want to be clear on this, that uh, the reality here is that Vince and, and Dana White, and I know less about the Dana White situation than the Vince situation, but both of them really, they're able to get away with this kind of behavior um, because of a largely compliant media and fan bases that have shown that they don't care at all about these kinds of transgressions um, in the media at all levels. The, you know, whether you're a mainstream major media outlet, whether you're a prominent Twitter account, um, they bear responsibility for this lack of accountability. Uh, and so do fans who continue to embrace these leaders. Uh, and by doing so, in, you know, enable this kind of behavior, people who are just happy to continue to turn on WWE and don't care about Vince, you know, 
Vince was don't care about when he came back to, to television. Yeah, the people bowing down and the people who are, you know, if Ariel Hawani wants to give an interview with Triple H and doesn't feel like he wants to ask him any questions about Vince's allegations, even though Triple H is on the board of directors, because he doesn't think that it's relevant to ask Triple H those questions. That kind of, you know, media behavior enables things like Vince to come back with little pushback. Um, and it keeps the fan base, you know, for the most part, as a, as a benign entity when it comes to making, to, to, to showing any sorts of pushback against this, um, you know, and it, it starts with, I think it starts with the media and it starts with the fans who seem to think that this is okay. You know, at least in, in, in the mass numbers of them, there's obviously fans that have protested. There's obviously fans that have spoken out about it and there are media members that have done the same, but at the end of the day, it's not enough number to really impact the decisions that are being made. Vince McMahon didn't have to step down from, WWE because fans were going to leave the product. Advertisers, yes. Or corporate partners, yes. But not fans. Certainly not fans. Fans popped, you know, a huge number to see him on SmackDown. When, when I saw the take, a lot of the takeaways that I saw on social media from this news about Vince coming back into power were people excited because this reminded them of like a real life story from the Attitude Era. And like, oh, this is so exciting. This is like a 1999 storyline happening in real life. I'm so excited. Vince is going to come out on Raw and it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be like this amazing meta storyline. And that to me, you know, that's BS. What are you talking about when you're, when you're, um, that's your takeaway is that you're excited to see this soap opera about a real life villain, a real life bad person, not a bad person on television, not just a, a heel on a, on an episode of Monday Night Raw. An actual bad person is coming back in charge to your company, to the company that you watch. And you're excited to see that because it's real life imitating art. Um, and that that being the major takeaway that I saw on social media was extremely disappointing to me as a wrestling fan. Yeah, I, th- I think in, in, in the discussion, some of the discussions that I've seen around this is that there's, you know, there are allusions and mentionings of the fact that, yes, there's moral. There's a moral story here, um, but there's sort of a of a sense of, OK, we'll mention that. OK, then I'll, let's move on to that, move on from that. And it's, it's sort of impolite to dwell on that rather than like more important and it's sort of i don't know it sort of sets alarm bells off in my head of that like we're embodying the the same sort of hollowness and like nihilism that it seems like you need to to embody in order to survive and to thrive in in the the, the top levels of these companies and power systems uh in, in culture in general but including WWE and in many ways like when it comes to ignoring what should be the bigger issue. I can't help but think about like my experience as a viewer uh, watching WWE and WF TV since childhood, and which is often narrated by Vince McMahon. Uh, and it's an experience where like obvious truths are consistently ignored. You know, we're pretending, of course, that the matches are real. We're pretending that someone with a new name always had that name. They were never identified as someone else. They never had a different gimmick. We're pretending that wrestlers who came from WCW came from nowhere. We're pretending that wrestlers who went to another company uh, never never existed in the first place uh, often. And uh, in, in later years, I think we're pretending that Vince McMahon is this creative genius who understands talent like no other. He has the mind as touch. Uh, he took rustling out of the, the smoky armories and made, made this globally mainstream accepted uh, uh, product for the first time that never wrestling never was that before. And now it's pretending that Vince McMahon didn't resign in disgrace uh, that, you know, the board didn't unanimously agree that he should stay out. And we're pretending that he doesn't have seven allegations of misconduct against him. Um, 
And maybe that's why Manjit Singh, Ignacio Laud resigned. Um, but so far, you know, everybody just has, has to stand together and pretend that, that everything's fine. And in fact, this is an exciting opportunity. Don't be scared. Um, so we'll see what happens. Ultimately, this, in large part, this will be up to business partners and potential bidders, whether they're, they want to tolerate this. Um, and whether, you know, the sort of the, the back and forth of Vince being out, being out on a temporary basis, being out for real, being back, whether this is just sort of muddies the waters enough for, you know, for us to in, in, in indulge these rationalizations and this sort of nihilistic, you know, let's not worry about it thought process when it comes to allegations of, of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Anyway, uh, we'll move on to Wrestle Kingdom now. <laughs> Uh, so Wrestle Kingdom was this past, uh, where is it? I got to get the, the slides going back up here. So Wrestle Kingdom had 26,000 attendees announced according to New Japan itself. That puts it on par with 2016 and 2017, but well below 2018, 2019 and the two day event either day on 2020, um, I can do some math here and get to almost $2 million for a live gate. Um, Chris Samsa, who does the sport of wrestling and who does research for New Japan uh, for their statistics for English commentary, uh, he, he created, non-paid, non but he created um, New Japan world accounts before Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, he told me the time, I believe at, at 10 a.m., East uh, Central Time, the day the day of Wrestle Kingdom, and then about I don't know twelve hours to eighteen hours or so after Wrestle Kingdom. Anyway, a, a, a time a, you know a time before Wrestle Kingdom and a, a, a many hours after Wrestle Kingdom, and the number, assuming that the member numbers that are associated with the creation of these accounts are an iteration of one whole number and no more, uh, the difference between his member IDs was twenty four thousand, which would indicate not necessarily the paid, if, if, if our assumptions about the iteration thing is true, um, which would indicate not necessarily the paid number of subscribers, but probably mostly. You have to take another step before becoming a paid member, after which you create an account. But I would think most of the accounts that are created for the first time become paid accounts. Um, so maybe 24,000 added in that time frame, sort of, I don't know, let's say 12 hours or so before, 12 hours or so after the event. Um, but New Japan itself put out an article on their official website saying 92,409. So that's, that's almost the announced attendance for, for WrestleMania three, come to think of it, 92,000 over 92,000 unique users were watching Wrestle Kingdom 17 live. 30% of those were braving late nights and early mornings on the weekday to watch the English feed live from overseas. Uh, they've, they've, they've called it, I think their biggest audience that they've had. Um, I, I've been told that this was, this allowed New Japan World to reach a new height in subscribers and added more subscribers. I don't know what the time frame is, but added more subscribers than they even added in is it 2017 for the Omega and Jericho match. Also, Okada, Naito, it was that Tokyo Dome show, um, which, which has been, you know, a, a, a reference point of like, this is something that, you know, the Jericho and Omega match is something that really added to the, the English language wrestling fans engagement with New Japan World. So even, even breaking that level of growth. So, uh, which, which of course involved, you have anything to add to that? 
Yeah, I mean, it would be like, okay, so for especially with the Western audiences, we're looking at um, Mercedes Monet. Uh, yes. You know, potentially drawing Sasha Banks that crowd, maybe. That, I guess we, did, did we get a count of the number of Sasha Banks stands that there are in the world? Is it 24,000? Is that, is that what we can learn from this? Uh, 24,000 stands that have the capacity to stay up all night to watch New Japan World. Um, you know, the Kenny Omega Will Ospreay match, was that a factor? I guess you could say the Jay White Kazushika Okada, although I really have a hard time seeing that that was a match that drew a lot of Western eyeballs to the product that weren't already watching New Japan. Um, Carl Anderson, to be opening up the forbidden door. That's true. I didn't even think about that. Bright lights, Carl Anderson coming in. Um, was it Master Wato wrestling in the uh, for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion? It's, was that really hard, the business? It's hard to right? attack who's a draw. I wouldn't rule out Master yeah. Wato. Tatsumi Fujinami wrestling. Yes, at, at age 69. Um, he looks great for age 69. I was like the entire match, which was kind of like a nothing match, but the entire match, I was like, this guy's in incredible physical shape for a wrestler of 69 years old. Like he's, he looks big. Like he looks like he has like the same body as like Nagata does. And Nagata is like 20 years younger than him. And Nagata looks great for his age. So we have the, the Will Ospreay and Omega match has been very well received. It is currently, I'm, we're looking at a live picture of cagematch.net here. It is currently the it's, sixth highest rated match in cage matches entire database at 9.8. So it's the sixth greatest match in history, is what you're telling me, based on cage match. According to the, according to the the, the crowdsourced zeitgeist of of cagematch.net, um, it is it is on par with with the June 9th, nineteen ninety five tag match between Akira Kiritawa teaming with Toshiaki Kawada versus Kenta Kobashi and Mitsuharu Masawa. It is it is in that neighborhood. Uh, so very very well received, and and we're now you know. I guess four days afterward, and it, I think it has moderated somewhat. I think it was up there at number three or so earlier, but uh, that seems to be where it's, it's staying for now. These these numbers, of course, will change as time goes on. Um, New Japan World, uh, New Japan's Tokyo Dome show itself, how is that rated uh, compared to other Wrestle Kingdom events? It is this, this is currently sitting at an 8.57, an 8.57, which is which puts it above the t- either 2021 day, but doesn't raise it to the level of the last Wrestle Kingdom show that was in front of a full capacity pre-COVID, the January 5th, 2020 show or the January 4th, 2020 show, which are both over a nine, 9.22, 9, 9.11 for day one and day two of those days, respectively. So a, a well-received show, but we're, we're not in the territory of the glory days. So much I think it's fair to call it now the glory days of New Japan in the in the late 2010s. So that's 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 all I have. Anything anything else to add to for uh for Russ, Russell Kingdom or anything like that? No. I mean, it seems like a successful show from a New Japan business perspective in a coming out off of a year that I don't think was super successful from a business perspective. Um and it seems like things are moving in a real positive direction. Um They've sold a lot of tickets to that San Jose show, the Battle in the Valley show that's coming. Yes. We, we should be monitoring, mo- monitoring what's happening with the San Jose show. Is Mercedes Monet going to sell tickets in San Jose? Well, that, that should be something we follow and discuss in the future when, when that show happens, especially. Well, I think that show's only got like a, a few tickets left, like maybe like 100 or so tickets left. Yeah. So the tickets have sold um, a lot since since she was announced for the show. And just New Japan getting some more momentum, I think, certainly helps. You know, obviously the Omega and Osprey match, um, 
being good. And then some of the decisions that were made at New Year's Dash, you had Omega and Okada teaming up. You've got Suzuki Gun breaking up. You've got this Noah versus uh, New Japan feud with uh, Kongo versus Los Angobernables de Japan. You got um, Jay White, whatever he's doing with um, Hikaleo. I think you've got some interesting things happening uh, in New Japan for the first time. Uh, obviously, having like a vocal crowd at Wrestle Kingdom probably helped as well. This is like three years of, right? All 2020, just about. All 2021, all 2022 of of restrictions uh, on cheering, mm-hmm. on capacity, all that for, for Japan, which is obviously the case in most of the rest of the world for wrestling. Um, we have some, some super chats to catch up on here. MJ from MJ. Sends a he told us, asked us not to read this. He asked us not to read this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Brandon. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't people see can his... People can pause the video now and they'll be able to read that in, in its entirety. But he said, please, okay. he okay. immediately said afterwards, don't read that. Okay. Um, sorry. But we'll take the $10. He's not getting this $10 back. Um, Ken Dalman says, has Brandon had his final retirement match or is that still in the future? Now, Brandon, you earlier this year, you were at, you know, a sold out Kurame uh, Kokugan and you said, you know, forever, 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 like Terry Funk did. So mm-hmm. is yeah, that I your retirement match? I, I have not wrestled since November of 2021 and I have no plans to, to wrestle anytime. Is, soon. is there an opponent if, if, if request, if they called you out like Clubber Lang did to Rocky, that you would consider putting the no, boots because back on? I because my performance would not, in, in my physical state right now, would not be great. And I'm, I'm not going to perform unless my performance is great. And I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, the pandemic sort of got me, it, it got me out of training and, and, you know, I'm, I'm now 37 and I've done a, a lot. To, to my scale, which is a relatively small scale. I had a really great 2019, I feel. I had a lot of matches that were of the style and setting that I really wanted to have as a wrestler. And I had a lot of matches that I really appreciated having with Jay Freddy, with Daniel Garcia, and, and a lot of others. And I got I got my fill of it. And I don't I don't want to use the, the, the R word because I know people, no, nobody honors that word, as we learned again this past week in wrestling. Um, I wouldn't expect it, but never say never. If if your hero Yuji Nagata was doing a U.S. Indies tour, oh my god, and he wanted to wrestle you, would you would you put in the work to get back in ring shape? <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if Yuji Nagata calls me, we'll 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 we'll, we'll talk. Mm-hmm. MJ from MJ says uh, Jesse makes great some great points. Um, this is the, you don't have to super chat this uh, MJ, but I appreciate the comments. This is, I mean, I know that's a sentiment that everyone, all of our viewers have about me all of the time. Um, so I don't need, you don't need to pay to remind me that I, I already know that, but thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Yes. Okay. I think we're, we're all cut up. That's it. We're going to watch the big show. Now what's going to happen between the Buffalo bills and the new England Patriots. How badly Will the New England Patriots lose? I look forward to learning that this afternoon. Anything to plug? Think, uh, yeah, uh, got a few things. I had an article that went up on the uh, the website this uh, yes this week. I said, you know, looking at 2023 as the critical year for AEW and kind of examining that the fact that AEW kind of lost its innocence last year with wrestling fans. We had a lot of backstage controversies, um, some more frustrations with perhaps decision-making in AEW that didn't exist as much previously. Um, and now that AEW is now in its next phase of, uh, of its, of its, uh, 
as a wrestling company. And we're seeing new faces elevated. We're seeing maybe some older faces either leave the company or, or, or be phased down the card. And uh, um, I think this is just, it's, this is a huge critical year for AEW. Um, obviously, you know, they got the TV rights negotiations are probably going to happen at some point towards the end of the year. Um, but just in general, from a, from a, what is the, the next chapter? What is chapter two? What is phase two of AEW look like? We're going to learn a lot about the company. We're going to learn a lot about Tony Khan's long-term ability as a booker. Um, I mean, even if you look at AEW right now, you look at who their champions are. Um, they're all, you know, kind of what you would consider homegrown stars. They're not former WWE stars or former New Japan Pro Wrestling stars. And we're seeing them kind of start building that that future. Um and, and this will be a critical year to determine that. So that's on WrestleNomics.com. You can read that, that thoughtful article there. Ad-free for everybody. You know, there's some stuff that's paywalled, but this is not paywalled. And there's no ads. Mm-hmm. No ads whatsoever. You don't have to, to dodge all the interstitials and the, and the flashing, moving yeah. ads. Part of, it not, is, not it, part of it is advertisers just don't want to deal with Brandon. Uh, yes, I, they, 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 they know that I'm uh, – I, they, they, they've heard my comments, and they, they don't want to deal with somebody who's uh, who's not not so who doesn't love consumerism as much as they do. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, the gentlemen's wrestling podcast uh, comes out. We just had an episode that went up uh, on Friday. I interviewed Carl Stern of oh, When It Was Cool dot com, longtime wrestling observer, newsletter website contributor. Um, he made a, a, a list of the 201 greatest wrestlers of all time. And what he did was instead of just naming his 201 favorite wrestlers or who he thinks are the greatest wrestlers, he used about a couple dozen published lists from various outlets and historians and writers and fan base polls and things like that and kind of compiled a consensus ranking based on all that data. And we explore not really – like who ranks where on the list, but really why people rank where they do and kind of go into like how, you know, WWE's version of history has influenced how people feel about certain things, how certain eras of wrestling are overlooked in favor of others, how certain territories are overlooked in favor of others. And a lot of like, this isn't a list of necessarily the 201 greatest wrestlers, but the 201 wrestlers that people remember the most. And why is that? Um, so we have a long conversation on that. That's right here on YouTube, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. Um, people can check that out. People go on my Twitter feed. They'll find a link to it and also an audio link to if they don't want to watch the YouTube video. Um, but okay. that's everything I have. We have one more super chat from Delmar who asks, wow, doing better than Impact and TV ratings? We're not doing better than Impact and TV ratings, are we? I appreciate the, um, the surprise in saying, wow doing better than impact and TV ratings, but we are not doing better than impact and TV. Ratings. Women of wrestling. Wow. Is yes. Is, is, is the power of syndication and then the, and the relative lack of distribution, lack of reach that, that impact has on access TV, access TV is about, I don't know, about 40 million homes or so, maybe less now as TV subscriptions in general decline, but they're in about 40 million homes. Wow. Is in syndication in 100% of the country. Uh, and wow, it, wow does you know in the hundreds of hundreds of thousands of viewers, and impact maybe gets to a hundred thousand viewers, and that's I think that's a good example of just what the power of distribution can do. Yeah, I mean, who who are why who is who is actually watching Wow? Um, uh, more women than usual for a wrestling show. Yeah, 
I feel like most of the viewers have to be like the 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 one TV that's on in like a Chinese food restaurant or a pizza place that only gets a few channels and is on twenty four seven and no one actually watches what's on it. That's what I feel like is broadcasting. Wow, like we, we should just, have an update. We should have an update for subscribers on on, on another episode of, of of Women of Wrestling soon. It's averaging uh, through December twenty eighth. It's averaging two hundred sixty five thousand viewers. Is and and I think it's important to look at an average when we sort of assess this because a lower viewership show tends to be volatile. Uh, but it is, is averaging forty nine percent within the demo, which is the only data that I have that breaks down uh, how how many women are watching. Forty nine percent women within the demo are watching, which is you know nearly obviously nearly half, and that's that's substantially more than any other WAW Impact New Japan wrestling show. Uh, SmackDown, I think, is the most female. We've had about 44%, I think. And uh, that is more than, you know, women of wrestling is doing more, which we're, we're SmackDown. Yeah, 38, 41, 43% is what SmackDown does as, as the leader besides. Wow. So, and I don't think that's a coincidence that it's doing more female viewers. So, okay, that's all. You can subscribe to WrestleNomics on Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, or you can go to WrestleNomics.com slash subscribe. It takes you to the same place. You can get the TV ratings reports I put out nearly every day. You get the access to the quarter hour reports that come out for AWWE weekly TV shows. You get access to the Thursday 30, WrestleNomics 30, whatever we're branding it as these days. Uh, you get access to the slides from this program and other stuff, including access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, which is what we were just looking at at uh for tv ratings so thanks everybody for your super chats thanks for subscribing and supporting wrestleomics we'll talk to you on thursday most likely with myself and chris gallo bye as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.